This is the What Now Podcast. It is damaging to not know of our Heavenly Mother. And the reason I say this is twofold. One is that Joseph Smith taught us that we have to have an understanding of God, a correct understanding of God, in order to understand our own nature and our own destiny. This is the What Now Podcast, where we discuss cultural topics related to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful and honest way, in an effort to uplift, inspire, and create positive change. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Join me as I speak with MacArthur Krishna, noteworthy Deseret Book children's and tween author, about the divine role of our Heavenly Mother and how important her role is for all of us to understand allowing us to connect with our Heavenly Mother in a more significant way. MacArthur also dispels some of the myths about why Heavenly Mother isn't mentioned frequently in our church culture. MacArthur recently released A Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother and A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother, where she shares quotes from her prophets and church leaders about the divine role of our Heavenly Mother, as well as beautiful artwork from noted LDS artists, offering a visual representation of her powerful influence. This book is an informative resource for any age and can be bought online at www.dstreetpress.com. I'm excited to announce that we will be giving away a copy of each of these books on our Instagram giveaway. Just follow us at Podcast What Now for all the details. That's at Podcast What Now. I am here today with MacArthur Krishna, who is a seasoned author who has focused her publications on the powerful influence of women in Christian history. She has written several children's books with Deseret Book that focus on the powerful influence of certain women portrayed in the scriptures, as well as women in our latter-day church history. MacArthur recently released a series about Heavenly Mother called A Girl's Guide to Heavenly Mother and A Boy's Guide to Heavenly Mother bringing to light the importance of our Heavenly Mother, who isn't often spoken of in our church culture, which is why we'll be focusing on the topic of Heavenly Mother today. So welcome, MacArthur. I'm so happy to have you with us. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to get to have these conversations. It's good. Thank you for being here. So let's start with you just sharing a little bit about yourself, where you're from, a little bit about your history, so listeners can get to know you a bit better. Sure. So I grew up in wild and wonderful West Virginia, two transplants who actually came from the West and settled there because of the incredible beauty that West Virginia has. And my father's a biologist. We spend lots and lots of time outside camping and hiking and boating and just enjoying the out of doors. But being from the West and being of the LDS faith meant that I got completely indoctrinated that BYU was the place that we were going to go. And so mom would wake us up on Saturday morning to do chores with like the BYU fight song, rise and shout, <laughs> right? And she would drive us up to the church that had a satellite dish so we could watch BYU basketball games. And so from a very, very young age, it was very clear that I was destined for cougarhood. And so I actually went to BYU twice. The first time as an undergraduate, because that's what we're going to do. And the second time under slight spiritual duress, I had wanted to go somewhere else to get my master's degree. And every time I prayed about it, got specifically told and then had miracles occur that kept me at BYU, for which I've been forever grateful because 
while some of the education goals that I had were a little bit slippery at that time, the friendships and the women that I came to know and love have absolutely changed who I am in this world. So I will forever be grateful for the Lord's wisdom that while education is of vital importance, that the love and relationships are, in my mind, even more important. So I ended up at BYU twice. And from BYU- You got a double dose. You got a double dose. I got a double dose. (laughs) The indoctrination worked. (laughs) Exactly. Through and through. And it was fabulous. Honestly, like I talked to my other friends who went to other schools. And when I told them just the sheer number of social activities that were happening at BYU, that you could do international cinema and you could hike in the canyon and you can go to all these dances, like their schools were not anywhere nearly as geared towards creating well-rounded human beings. Totally. Oh, yeah. 2,000 person pillow fight. You cannot go wrong with that, right? (laughs) It was delightful. I love it. Yeah. And then I moved to DC and spent years there and loved it. Well, okay, again, that was funny. How come I'm always under spiritual duress? This tells you that I clearly have different ideas about like where I want my life to go, but that I've learned that my heavenly parents have got better ideas. Shocker. And so again, I got to like a junction of where I wanted to go and I wanted to move to Rome because who wouldn't want to move to Rome, right? And again, I got told that I should move to Washington, D.C. And I was... I was dismayed because DC was in my backyard from West Virginia. And I I literally had this conversation with God where I was like, okay, look, I'm young. I'm not married. Like now is the time to go far. And then when I get married and have kids is the time to move back and be close to family. But like now's the time to be far, Lord. Come on, let's sort this out. And I clearly got told that I was to be in DC and I was to accept this job. So I did. And the great thing about this, this is where like, I appreciate my heavenly parents' patience with me is that When I got married, finally, I actually moved to India and I lived in the magic land of India for eight years. And so all of my little like lecture to God about like, this is the time to go far because this is the time that I'll be back. Like was like, sure, babe. Right. I can just imagine the heavenly courses. Sure, babe. And so I ended up far. But what was marvelous about that is living in D.C. changed me in uh, some very significant ways and prepared me for the rest of my life. And one of them is that I'm second of eight kids. And so being that close to my family meant that I was actually home a lot. And so, you know, I cooked dinner for my little sister going to prom and uh, I taught another little brother how to tie his shoes. I mean, like I was really around. And so that meant then when I ended up far on the other side of the planet, that I had these great forged relationships with my younger brothers and sisters that mean everything to me. And that was, that was a good call by heavenly parents, right? Yeah. Yeah. And going back to your emphasis on relationships, you know, your BYU relationships, your family relationships are strengthened, and then you've kind of progressed and went off to India. Absolutely. And the learning that comes in living in Washington, D.C. is significant because there's people from all over the world in D.C. Yeah, there's I was raised in Washington, D.C. Right? And so yeah, for me, it was significant. Because I also had this chance to really open my eyes and consider what does it mean to have heavenly parents who are parents of all, you know, not just parents of my favorite people or not just parents of people in my faith, but parents of all. And frankly, that's a lot more wild and crazy and diverse than what my brain had realized before. Well, that changes your perspective living in a foreign country, right? Especially for eight years. That's a long time. It's a long time. And so I think living in D.C. before prepped me for that because it opened my horizon to know that the people I saw coming in from Afghanistan were 
children of heavenly parents. And the people who ran the, you know, Ecuadorian restaurant are people of, you know, God, children of God. And so all of these experiences really opened up my eyes to understand that to really feel and recognize the richness of what all of these different cultures brought and the unifying factor that we're all children of God. And that is actually really vital when you think about the lens of the world from here on out, how you live, how you talk, how you raise your children, how you vote. Everything is impacted by the single bottom line truth that we are all children of God. True. I mean, and that leads us kind of into our first question about, you know, what prompted your initial interest in Heavenly Mother? Was that foreign experience or living in DC something that kind of prompted you to think more about outside the box of just Heavenly Father? When did you start kind of thinking about Heavenly Mother? Oh, no, that started way back. So I have always been an avid reader, and I love historical fiction, among lots of other genres. And I remember realizing at a very young age that women throughout history have been treated poorly. And I don't want to say that with like a victim mentality or a chip on my shoulder. I want to just lay that down as a calm fact, right? As a calm fact, women have been bartered. As a calm fact, women could not make decisions for themselves. As a calm fact, women could not own property, right? Until 1970s in America, a woman could open a bank account in her own name, And even when I was living in India, I had to fill out paperwork and there was a couple lines that said, I don't think the phrase was, who do you belong to? But it was just like, I just left a blank because I didn't understand, right? Like, what is, what is this phrase? And the doctor's office was like, no, 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 you have to put your father's name there. I'm like, but I belong to myself. (laughs) Right, right. I'm an independent person. (laughs) Right. So I firmly believe in relationships at the same time. I was just baffled because I said, "What, what, what are you talking about? Right. And a police officer interviewed me and asked me, like, but the household you came from before you moved to India. And again, I was baffled, the household I came from. And my husband, who was sitting next to me, started laughing. And he said, she didn't come from her father's house. She owned her own house before she came here. And the police police officer just like jaw dropped. You owned your own house? (laughs) Yes. I had a job. I worked. I saved my money. I bought a house, right? It was just this like, ah, right? So from a very long time, I have considered that women as their own satient beings was not honored. And that bothered me always. And I thought, how in the world can this be? And what can this be like? And the biggest cognitive dissonance for me was that how can that be while we know we have a heavenly mother? And I knew this as a doctrine from a young kid. Then I was like, okay, wait a second. We know we have a heavenly mother, but we never talk about it. Why is that? And it just kind of you know, was in the back of my mind. And especially about relationships between mothers and fathers and husbands and wives. And like, how how does this, what does this all look like? And then, and literally, I remember having this thought when I was 12 years old, a very distinct conversation around this. And then I got older and kind of dug in a little bit more and realized that a lot of what was propagated around Heavenly Mother was absolutely not doctrine, which is true for all things. This is not this is not some conspiracy against Heavenly Mother, right? Like we have lots and lots of things in our faith that are not doctrine because we're people and people build cultures. And so you build a culture around your faith. And so that's normal. But in this kind of instance, the normalcy of building a culture around Heavenly Mother was actually, in my assessment, damaging. It is damaging to not know of our Heavenly Mother. And the reason I say this is twofold. One is that Joseph Smith 
taught us that we have to have an understanding of God, a correct understanding of God, in order to understand our own nature and our own destiny. And so for me, it's like the tracks on a railroad, where you're at this one point, and the tracks start just a little ways apart, but end up in wildly different places if they get off their parallel line. And so the point of saying that Heavenly Mother doesn't exist, or not understanding the nature of God, if you don't understand the nature of God, you're going to end up in you know, the wild and wooly wilderness. And so from my standpoint, having this understanding of the correct nature of God, knowing that God is Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother keeps us going in the path we want to be on. If you don't have that basic understanding of how the universe works, you're going to go awry. And so in my mind, that means laws go awry, policies go awry, culture goes awry, family relationships go awry. We understand that unrighteous dominion is not acceptable before God, but it is often been practiced. And I think it's because it comes from that root of not understanding the nature of God being male and female, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother both. Interesting. Because you've written several books around powerful influences of women in the scriptures. When did you start that pursuit? So it was actually my co-author, Bethany Brady Spalding, had a precocious three-year-old who was flipping through a cartoon book of scriptures, and there wasn't a single woman in the book. Now, we, of course, can learn from all examples. We, as women, can learn from examples of males' righteousness. But it's also really important as a girl to have a model of who you want to become, one. And two, it's important for young boys to see that women can be righteous and powerful as well. And so Bethany calls me up and said, oh my gosh, Simone's like, she can't find any girls. And she's asking me as a three-year-old, where are the girls? I want to read about the girls. And so Bethany looked around and there wasn't a single, how many years ago? More than 10 years ago, looked around and there wasn't a single scripture book about women in the scriptures. And so we went to Desert Book and they were fabulous and supportive and said, no, we shouldn't just do one. We should really blow this out and do a series. And that I think was really amazing because we sat down and had this chance to really think about the roles that women play in the scriptures and they're significant. So in the Bible, the first person that Christ announces his ministry to is a woman at the well, a foreign woman even. And so again, that teaches us so much about who is considered quote unquote acceptable, right? So he didn't choose another Jew to announce it to. He didn't choose one of the leadership. He didn't choose a man who would have been considered important. He chose a woman who was poor enough that she had to go fetch her own water. So she was a foreigner, a woman, a poor person who said, go and tell the city that I have come, you know, that I am the Christ, that I am, you know, the living water. All of that scene came from a woman. You know, obviously Mary as his mother. Then the first person who sees him after he's resurrected is Mary Magdalene. And so again, you have these women who Christ chooses as these really crucial moments to be then the bearers of this news to the rest of the world. And yet, because these women aren't seen as important enough to write a story about, that they're not seen as strong enough protagonists to offer a story about, then our children just glide over these stories and don't see them. And this cannot, again, the power of stories is palpable. If you don't see it or read it, it is very difficult for most people. There's a few people out in the world who can do the completely unexpected, but most of us need to be able to see something that we can model and believe in. I mean, it's why we believe in Christ. We believe in having a divine model in Jesus Christ. Our heavenly parents didn't say, go to earth and figure it out on your own, right? I mean, they sent 
Christ as the ultimate model, and they send lots of prophets along the way and wise people to help us. And so our heavenly parents believe in the concept of model, right? But not having these women shown in our scriptures means the girls didn't have a model and boys didn't realize that that was a thing, right? So I actually gifted the, one of these books to a friend of mine who's a primary teacher. And she said, oh yeah, thanks for this. But all the children in my primary class are boys and they're just not really interested in reading about girls. <laughs> wow. I have a whole series of books for them to read. I'm not being interested in Nephi. Like, <laughs> are you pardon? Right? Maybe they've never been exposed to stories about girls that were interesting. Deborah in the Old Testament was a judge and a general. She led the army. She's the one who got the revelation about where they should go. She trained her people. Like that is a story that I would think would be interesting to a little boy. Yes. Well, I mean, that kind of leads into your recent publications about these girls and boys guide to heavenly mother. I mean, it's interesting because you published two separate books and I would like to understand, you know, why was it important to publish separate books for girls and boys about Heavenly Mother? What was the reasoning behind that? Yeah, there's actually some really distinct differences, but we had only intended to do a girl's guide to Heavenly Mother because we write for girls. <laughs> all of our books have been girls, right? The Girls Who Choose God series have all been, obviously, stories of girls. So our plan was girls. And partially because Bethany has three daughters and I have three daughters. So that's just what makes sense. And then a woman got a hold of me and said, no, 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 you need to make it for children or, you know, you need to really think about this. And I said, okay, well, send me an email and give me your thoughts. And she sent me a diatribe that was smart and articulate and lengthy and thorough. And I was like, dang. She wrote a book so for you and sent it, emailed it to you. <laughs> right? Like, okay, here we go. And so I called Bethany and said, um, we have to do a boy's guide, sorry. And she laughed at me. But we called Martin Polito, and Martin Polito is a super bright man, and he is one of the lead authors on the article of Mother There. So I don't know if you know this, but there's an essay on the church's website about Mother in Heaven. Yes, it's excellent. I've read it. Yes, it's lovely. And in that essay, one of their footnotes is to an article called A Mother There, and that's a BYU Studies article. Apparently, their most popular downloaded article. For free, you can get it. And Martin Polito was a student at the time who proposed to his professor that he wanted to do a historical survey of times that Heavenly Mother was mentioned. And it's not even exhaustive, but it's a lot. And they found over 600 times in early church history that Heavenly Mother was mentioned. And they categorize it then into what we've kind of learned about Heavenly Mother from this. So the church footnotes this BYU Studies article. So when Beth and I were trying to figure out how to do the boys guide, we thought, oh, if we're going to do this, we should do this in tandem with a man because boys and girls are different and, you know, and, and we've never written directly to a boy and blah, blah, blah. So we called Martin and he was fabulous and said, sure, let's get on board. Let's do this. And it was fascinating because I've written lots of books with Bethany now, but this was obviously the first and only one with Martin. And so men and women function differently. This is not news, but it's true. And we kind of had to work through like what the flavor of this book should be. And it actually reminds me of a friend of mine is a sports psychologist. And he said, well, there's exceptions. The research has shown that to get men motivated on a sports field, you yell at them. Raw, what are you thinking? Get out there. Raw, raw, raw. And for women, you say, you can do it. Your team depends on you. Let's all work together. And I'm not going to be um, stereotypical here. I'm just laying down the research. This is generally the way that they do A softer approach. <laughs> and, 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 and a team-oriented approach and like an, a lifting approach. And like, 
Like women live in a much more interconnected system than what men live in. And so the women have this like this web of interconnectivity in their communities and in their families in a way that's generally more significant and complex than a man's interconnective web. And so to spur a woman in a soccer field, you rely on her web. Your teammates need you. We rely on you. Come on, we can all do this together, right? Great, encouraging, <laughs> supportive. Yeah, and, and like support the web, right? And so when we're talking with Martin, Martin's like, this is about moral responsibility. Boys need to know how to respect their heavenly mother so they respect women. And he was very like strong about the moral responsibility angle. Where when Bethany and I wrote the girl's guide, we're like, you can do it. You're built like your heavenly mother. Love your body. Love your yeah, destiny. Approach. Yeah. And it, was, it was a totally different, different approach. Yeah. 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 But for us, it meant that when we were writing the girl's guide, we wanted to talk to girls about how their body is made in God's image. And so the scripture in Genesis is actually plural. Elohim is the plural form of God's. So it talks about you're made in their image. Obviously, me as a woman is made in a different image than my husband. And so the image of who I'm made in would be Heavenly Mother. And so having girls understand, especially, so what was happening is that same precocious three-year-old was growing up and she's hitting 11, 12 and having lots of questions about being a tween and puberty and her body changing and incredible pressures of visuals on a young girl. And having her mother say, wait a second, like, I know this body is feeling weird to you and, and you wanted to, you think that beauty is only this, you know, one narrow definition, but we have to understand that all of us are made in Heavenly Mother's image and look around and see the diversity of beauty here. So we were very oriented towards how knowledge of Heavenly Mother could help a tween girl have a healthier relationship with herself. Funny, that said, all the people I've been hearing back from who've got these books have been such a wide range. I had a woman in her 40s get a hold of me and say, how would my life have been changed if I would have had this book when I was a child? I completely agree with that because when I was reading through it, I thought, honestly, I've never even thought about Heavenly Mother until I started thinking about doing this and heard about your book and went through it and then interviewed Kirk Richards about his art in the book. And I just thought, this is a whole new world. I never even thought about Heavenly Mother because we don't talk about it in our church culture. We pray to Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus Christ. We don't ever mention Heavenly Mother. We don't have church talks about it. We don't have conference talks about it. You know, we don't have books about it. So it's you're really opening up a door to something important for a relationship, especially for women. Like you were talking about that web. We want the connection. We want that understanding. And just in preparing for these interviews and reading your books, I have developed an even deeper relationship with Heavenly Mother that never even existed for me. Like, I wish I could have known about this at a much younger age. So your books are targeted to the right audience, you know, for kids years to get that, that information so they can develop a relationship younger that will really help them when life gets harder as they get older. And I think what you're saying is also true. So even though we literally geared towards tweens, Women and men of all ages can benefit from knowing the true nature of God and hence their own nature. Like all of us at whatever life stage we're at benefit from truth. So you should be clear when we're talking about this, when we sat down to write these books, there's lots and lots of extrapolative thinking about Heavenly Mother. And if that's interesting to your brain, there's lots of things out there that are kind of intriguing to think about. But when we were oriented towards teaching children about Heavenly Mother, 
as our other books have been oriented towards slightly younger children. For us, it was vitally important that we stuck to what we actually know. And people always say, oh, we don't know very much or what's out there. I'm like, no, 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 trust me. There's actually way more out there than what you would think without seeing it collected in one place. And so throughout the book, I think I should actually do the math on this, but I think about 90% of the quotes are prophets and apostles and female church leaders. And from their words, and these are modern day, most of them are not early church because the early church survey was done with a mother there. But Bethy and I were really interested in like, what has President Kimball said about this? What has Elder Holland said about this? What has Elder Ballard said about this? What has Spencer W. Kimball, our prophet, said about this? I mean, like, we wanted to know what modern day discussion was around Heavenly Mother. So almost all of the quotes um, are from prophets and apostles and female church leaders from modern times. And what's amazing is there is actually significant information, enough to write our books and have it be resting on solid doctrinal ground. And that's what I really liked about that, because, you know, you can get into exploring certain things and you can open Pandora's box. You know, you have to kind of be careful. And I love that your books are totally focused on what the leaders of the church have said about Heavenly Mother. I, it just feels like a safe read to me. <laughs> and, that's, and that was our intention because we're teaching children. Now, I don't the fear of Pandora's box at all, actually, because I think that our heavenly parents gave us our brains to explore and grow and learn. I think Joseph Smith opened the Pandora's box, right? Joseph Smith said, wait a second, what about this? And that very dramatic box opening is what ushered in a whole new dispensation. And so I have no fear of the Pandora's box. However, for children, you want to make sure that what you're handing them is solid foundational footing for them to then explore as as is beneficial to their testimony. But we wanted to hand them the solid foundation. That was important to us. And what's beautiful about that is that there is so much there. And so if someone's interested beyond that, there's actually a website that's collected a whole bunch of information. It's called Seeking Heavenly Mother. And they have a section that's just like quotes from prophets and apostles, but then there's also academic articles and poetry and music and art. And so if this is a topic that's of interest to you, there's lots and lots of things there. If you want to stick with only what's been said by prophets and apostles, you can do that in our books, or there's you know one section in the tab of that website that only focuses on that. And I think from my standpoint, if you think about the model, so we're looking for a divine model, right? And the divine model is if I only had a relationship with my heavenly father, I think that I would be missing a significant aspect, a significant potential, not just for divine relationship, but also for my own identity, similar to if I had only had a relationship with my earthly father. Like think about if you grew up with only a father. I mean, we as LDS culture really strongly believe in the ideal nature of a nuclear family. And so if you think about that in terms, that means that we need that same heavenly father and heavenly mother balance in our eternal relationships. Which is a really good point. That's actually a powerful point because if that's true, which we know it is, the family is the focus in the church, then why do we not speak about heavenly mother in our church culture? Well, so I talked to some church historians about this, and they've been able to track back, which is fascinating. It made me want to be a historian. They were able to track back the first written and recorded instance of someone shrouding Heavenly Mother in sacred silence. Maybe this had been talked about before, but the first person who wrote about it was a California seminary teacher who maybe didn't come up with a theory, but the first person to codify it and write it down. And then it just spread. 
And so this is one of those things that's not true. And so this is one of the cultural things that gets built around truth. And what they found in the Mother There article is that no prophet or apostle has ever said we should not speak of Heavenly Mother. They've never said that she's too sacred to talk about, that Heavenly Father is trying to protect her. She shouldn't be talked about, that there's anything wrong with talking about her. No prophet or apostle has ever said that. We built this ourselves. And so great thing about this, this is actually good news. The good news with this is anything we built, we can dismantle. You don't dismantle God's truth. You dismantle erroneous culture around truth. That's a great distinction. So for me, if we built this, we can change it. And so when we say people don't talk about this, people don't give, we don't hear talks in church about this. Well, a friend of mine this spring was asked to give the talk on Mother's Day and she gave a talk completely on Heavenly Mother. I love that. Because you can. Because it's allowed. Right? And so she got on the church's website and this is a woman who is extremely She's not in the wilderness wandering around, wondering about esoteric theories. She's a super bright, super competent, wants to know her stuff right. And so she got on the church's website and read a mother there and said, oh my gosh, there's so much information here. Of course, there's enough information for a 15 minute sacrament meeting talk. Let's do this. And so she's the Relief Society president in her ward. And she talked all about what we can learn from understanding that we have a mother in heaven. And so from my point, when someone's listening to this, this is my charge for all of us. If we think that our family and our communities and our world can benefit from truth, then it is our job to light that candle and spread the light. And so I personally think that the world can greatly benefit from the truth of Heavenly Mother. One, just as a personal relationship, but two, as an understanding of women's worth. Now, this is more abundantly clear from living in India which does not treat women kindly, but it's even true in this country. It's true everywhere. That if we understand what women are worth, that Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother function as equal divine partners, as told by general authorities in you know the quotes that we read, how does that change things? How does that change how we see women in this world? How does it change family relationships? How does it change who you date and how you date? There was a study recently at BYU that said that women don't speak in the groups of five, unless there's four out of five women, women don't speak as often as men. That's interesting. Always speak more than women. And that that still exists in 2020. So disturbing. So do we think that women have something valuable to add to the conversation? Do we, and, and okay, sorry, that was part A of the study. Part B of the study said that often when a woman spoke, the response from the male participants was undercutting the statement they just made. That's even more disturbing. So if our children, boys and girls, were raised with this truth of Heavenly Mother, women would feel perhaps like, oh, Heavenly Mother probably has something to say about this. (laughs) I should have something to say about this. What I speak has worth. A boy would say, oh, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother work as equal partners. That means the women in my group project probably should be treated like equal partners. If I'm learning the divine model. Mm-hmm. That's a different kind of mindset shift, right? If these kids are learning young in the tween years about the powerful influence of Heavenly Mother and that all the women in their life can be influenced by that and the respect he would have for Heavenly Mother would transfer to the respect for other women, 
that could have a big impact. Absolutely. That's true. And I love that empowerment piece. And even that kind of like, what now, you know, like, what do you do now? You know, how can we develop a relationship with Heavenly Mother for someone where this has been kind of a foreign concept? You know, what would be a couple of suggestions? We'll close out with that. Like what now, what, how would you develop a relationship with Heavenly Mother for someone who's seeking that, but doesn't really know where to start? How would you speak to that? So one of my new thoughts is that because Heavenly Mother is divine, that means she is infinite. And if something is infinite, that means it has infinite touch points. So for me, as a reader, I read. And so when I wanted to know more about Heavenly Mother, I went out and read. I got actually a Hebrew Bible, looked up keyword search Elohim, and read all the references to Elohim in the Old Testament. Now, some of them clearly did not were not Heavenly Mother. So just because it's, it mentions Elohim does not necessarily mean it's a reference to Heavenly Mother. I should be clear on that. But I read about it. There's lots of books about this. There's journal, the articles, there's lots of things you can read. So I'm a reader. That's how I wanted to just pack my head with kind of new information. However, you don't have to be a reader to reach out to Heavenly Mother. There's infinite touch points. So if you're a person who bakes, You can bake and think about how you're creating as your Heavenly Mother helped create this earth. We know from Elder Holland that Heavenly Mother was involved in the tapestry of of creation around us. If you're a person who likes to take a walk in nature, you can think about Heavenly Mother and her role. So in my mind, because Heavenly Mother is infinite with infinite touch points, any way you want to reach out to her is valid. You know, pick what feels rich and abundant and lifting or accessible, just start with accessible. (laughs) Whatever way you want to access, that works. However you connect. Yeah. I mean, I think this is such a powerful topic and it's been so good for me personally to develop, to start developing a relationship with Heavenly Mother, which was kind of, you know, the catalyst was your book, The Girl's Guide, which is so well done. And the beautiful artwork that you selected for that, because a lot of people, imagery really impacts them. So I should absolutely give, this is not just a shout out. This is like a humble adoration bow. The artists who are part of this book were incredible. So some of that art existed before. Lots of the art was actually commissioned for this book. And by commissioned, I mean, I called and begged. (laughs) um, It worked. It worked, right? And and what was amazing is two or three of the artists, several of the artists came back to me and said, I had such a powerful experience. One woman I called and she literally said, last night I was praying and asking how I could use my talents to serve, how I could use my talents to shift gender balance. And you called me the very next morning. Wow. See, that just shows when you're on the Lord's errand, he presents opportunity. That is so cool. I love that. These artists took had so much faith and so much confidence and so much willingness to serve to say, yeah, we'll be part of this project. Like I will stretch. And one artist told me, it was a very well-established artist. She said, I have no idea how to paint a heavenly mother. I said, I know, but nobody does. So, <laughs> and so you know, paint your heart, paint what feels good, paint whatever. And she said, oh, we'll see, right? And of course, it is absolutely glorious. And so from my standpoint, it was so fascinating. So again, I should say my husband is from India and my daughters are a range of glorious brown skin tones. And for me, it was really important, again, back to that idea that we're all children of God, that the fact that God emphasized to me in D.C., 
we're all children of God, which means that Heavenly Mother needed to not look like one narrow ethnicity or definition. Because we have a definition of what, like the race of Heavenly Mother or the skin tone of her, but we also have a definition even artistically. What would Heavenly Mother look like? Okay, she looks like the art that you might see in the visitor center, right? But the art in the visitor center is just one style of aesthetic. There is no divine aesthetic. If you look at this earth, the hills of West Virginia that I think are so gloriously beautiful look nothing like Southern Utah Moab, but they're both divine, both created, both seen as beautiful. And so when you look at this idea, you have the divine stamp on ecological diversity, <laughs> right? Like divinity created diversity. And so when we were going to show Heavenly Mother, we wanted to be as expansive and as inclusive as we could be to show that Heavenly Mother represents all of her children on the earth. And so we went abroad to find artists abroad. And so the church does an amazing art show. I don't know if people are aware of this. I wasn't. But every three years, the church hosts an international art show. And they have a very wide range of aesthetic. It is not just one aesthetic that we subscribe to at the Church History Museum when they show the exhibit. It is wide ranging from abstract and modern to traditional to literal. I mean, it is all over the map. It's beautiful. And they actually have an online exhibit. So if you're like me and you live in India <laughs> or you live somewhere else in the world that you can't get to Salt Lake City, if you Google Church International Art Competition, LDS Church, it pulls up and they have an online exhibit and you can see the last 15 years, I think, of exhibits. So I went back through those exhibits and found artists whose work I thought would work for this book. And for this book, we mostly did literal figurative art because for children especially, we wanted them to see her as a real person. And so there's a few pieces that are abstract, but it's mostly very figurative. But I went back in and got a hold of artists. And so in the girl's guide, we have art from Nigeria, from Lebanon, from Cambodia, from South Africa, from South America, Argentina. Like we literally wanted Heavenly Mother to be represented from across the world. We have a Hawaiian Heavenly Mother who was just beautiful. She was just acquired. That painting was acquired by the Springville Art Museum. So from my standpoint, I'm so grateful to these artists for their willingness to try this kind of unknown project. And at the same time, to blow out the cannon. If you're now on Instagram and you see images, there are images of Heavenly Mother cropping up, I would say once a week, I see a new image now on Heavenly Mother. There's just been this explosion of art around her in such beautiful ways. One that I most recently saw was a Heavenly Mother reaching out to Mary and baby Jesus. And it blew my mind. I thought, oh, wait, that was her child too, right? It is their plan for us. And, and this is in no way denigrating Heavenly Father Jesus. This is holistic approach, not a weeding out. This is not the Greek model of like, I'm going to follow Zeus and I'm not going to follow Herod. I'm going to follow Apollo, but not this one, right? Like, like this is not the Greek and Roman God. This They're united in their plan for us. And so to seek them individually is also to seek them collectively. But when we talk about a plan for us, it's not just Heavenly Father's plan for us. I don't know about you, but most mothers I know are very interested and active in the planning of their children's lives. In my house, I plan way more than my husband does. <laughs> so it makes sense that our Heavenly Mother is part of the plan for our life. And by the way, that's backed up by, you know, quotes from apostles. It talks about their plan for us, right? 
And so again, if we're talking about dismantling and creating, our own language should shift to match the divine model of truth. So when we say Heavenly Father's plan for us, well, that is true. He does have a plan for us, but it's more truthful to say Heavenly Parents' plan for us. Yeah. And I have heard more reference recently in conference and church talks about Heavenly Parents, but it's never specifically focused on Heavenly Mother. I think that's a comfort level. Mm-hmm. But I don't mind that either because it is a partnership, like you're saying. They are meant to all work in harmony together. So, and Bethy and I had actually toyed with writing a Heavenly Parents book. And then we thought, well, but we need to parse it out a little bit because we need to talk about Heavenly Mother specifically so that we know who the other part of the partnership is. But if you're talking about the plan for our lives, obviously it's Heavenly Parents, not Heavenly Mother, right? And so, or Heavenly Father. So I think. The focus of what we need to understand is the unity between them. And that's always heavenly parents. But if you want to talk about your destiny, your divine destiny as a woman, then heavenly mother is crucial to that understanding. If you have a son that you want to encourage to marry and date righteous women, you want him to know there's heavenly mother as a role model. And so this is not just... It just enhances. It shouldn't be threatening. I think a lot of people get nervous because they hear these myths about like, well, she's so sacred. We shouldn't be talking about her and this and that. But that's just a myth, a dispelled myth, you know? So we just need to say, hey, that's actually not true. You know, kind of calling it out like you're talking about in a respectful way and saying, no, actually, they want us to know about our Heavenly Father. Of course, Heavenly Mother is important and Heavenly Father would want us to know about her, right? And I think about, if you think about it in two things, one, she is a God, an all-powerful God. She does not need our feeble human protection. That's one. Two, what mother would want distance between her and her child? I just went grocery shopping yesterday and I got three text messages and a phone call from my five-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> an hour and a half, right? Like, oh, that's so funny. What are you? Right, as a five-year-old, she understands she wants to be connected to her mom, even if I'm not there, right? So, five-year-old is feeling this need for, you know, her mama. Yeah, and that's a good point. That's a good point. You know, of course, she wants to be connected to her heavenly children, just like heavenly father would be so disappointed if we weren't praying to him, right? He wants the connection. Oh, this has been such an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. It's always, I think it's exciting. It's exciting to talk about things that matter. It's exciting to talk about truths that can bless our world. It is. And thank you so much. You're welcome. My pleasure. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review. Just follow the link on our Instagram bio at podcast what now. That's at podcast what now. For a tutorial on how to leave an iTunes review and comment, we read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. We never say goodbye, we say what now. Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This is a What Now podcast production.